Hello, everyone. This is the Would Somebody Testify podcast. I am your host, Stephen Wood. Today, I have Brother Denny Wood and Alicia Wood here to tell about uh, in 2021 how Mr. Alicia decided that she wanted to almost die on him. Hmm? 2020. 2020, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even remember what I said. But uh, here they are. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. So, so where do you want to start with this? Well, I want to start by saying thanks for inviting us. And um, you guys cannot see what we're doing. But Brother Stephen brought everything over to our house and spent a lot of time setting it up here because we have five children. And uh, he just tried to make it as easy on us as he could. We have children in another room being as good as possible. But they may run in here screaming. I <laughs> 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 see Connor is what? It'd be two in a month. And Carson will be one next week. So, yeah, it's a, uh, anything could happen. <clears throat> so. <laughs> That's why you have kids. Yeah. Uh, free entertainment. Yeah. Well, yeah. free entertainment. You know, Not free. Food. Entertainment. <laughs> well, but, um, well, um, so I guess we'll just get, get started here with it. Um, we are not professional people at all, but uh, the Lord did a miracle for us and he was, with us through a very hard time in our life and uh, we'll do our best to share this with you <clears throat> so uh it was in 2020 and everybody remembers that year um if you're old enough to remember 2020 was a hard year for almost the entire world you were affected some way somehow no matter what country no matter anything um but 2020 had frustrations for us like anybody else but in a way 2020 was one of our funnest years um, because we couldn't go a lot of places. We couldn't, uh, go to a lot of restaurants. So we were able to just do things with our family. And, uh, we took on a lot of projects that year. We bought baby chicks, raised them up, built a chicken house. We bought an old travel trailer, remodeled it. And we got into camping. We started doing a lot of camping. So we were trying to make the best out of this really weird year that the whole world was going through. And, um, we had a, our youngest at the time was almost five. That was Carter. And um, we had three children. And um, we were very happy to have three children. We were kind of at this point to where if we had more, that was going to be great. But we had kind of decided it's been five years. We're probably not getting any more. And so uh, we were just, we had talked about it and said, well, we've got, we had two boys. We had a girl. We've got boys. We've got a girl. We can't ask for anything else. God's blessed us. So we were just going to make the best of it. And um, we're just going through life and miraculously find out we're going to have a baby. And we were super excited. It kind of threw me for a loop when my wife told me because we were not expecting it at all. We had kind of given up on being able to have any more children. Um, we find out we're having a, a baby. Well, the beautiful thing is in 2020, we're not with anybody hardly. We're not seeing anybody. So my and my kids didn't know what it was like for their mom to be pregnant. They don't remember at this point. So we didn't tell anybody. And it was very easy to hide it. <laughs> nobody was seeing us. Nobody was hanging out with us. So my wife could throw up. She could sleep. She can all these, you know, all these first trimester things that women go through that are rough. Nobody knew it. So it was this really fun time for me and my wife because we had this amazing secret that nobody knew. And we were trying to hold off to tell anybody until we found out what it was. <clears throat> so we decided we were going to uh, tell our kids 
when we took our Christmas picture. So uh, if you come to our house, you'll, you'll see those pictures in our house. Um, hopefully we never have to take them down. It's a very special picture to us. But we announced to the kids and we told the photographer what was happening. So our kids have no idea. We're going to tell them that we're having a baby and we want you to capture that. It's going on our Christmas card. So that's what we did. It's super exciting. And um, we took the picture, got the got it on the Christmas card and, and uh, talked to the photographer a long time about it. And uh, just, it seemed like we were going into, it, uh, I called them our bright spot in 2020. 2020 was such a weird year. But to end the year and be able to tell our family and be able to tell our friends, hey, guess what? We didn't think we'd have more kids. We're having another one. And it was just like fireworks at the end of the year. It was awesome. And so this we where I'll kind of try to pick up on our story. I was just as excited as Denny was. And um, uh, we were kind of coming into all the crazy of the uh, Thanksgiving season and the Christmas season. And so um, this part of the story starts in the beginning of December, December 7th. It was on, it was on a Monday. And Denny came home from work and we were just talking about what we were going to do for Christmas, like with the kids. We decided that we would take them down Christmas tree lane, which is in Fresno and, um, just kind of try to get in the festive spirit. And so, um, I went to the back door and the sliding glass door and the kids were in the backyard on the trampoline. And I opened the sliding glass door and I just want to put a disclaimer out there. This healing that we received, it was around, um, our story is going to be around a pregnancy. So I want to share, but I don't want to overshare if that makes sense. No. So I'll try to, I, I'll try to do a healthy balance of trying to share our story, but not overshare. So um, I went to this, the back door and I was going to open it and tell the kids come inside. We're going to go look at lights. And when I opened the sliding glass door, my water broke and our baby wasn't going to be due till May. So I immediately went into the room and I was like, Danny, I think my water just broke. And he's like, what? I'm like, I'm positive my water just broke. So we called my in-laws and they came to get the kids and we, we ended up calling the emergency room, like, I don't know, doctor on call, I guess. And they told us to go to the emergency. So this was 2020. So when we got to the emergency room, Denny couldn't come with me and they put me in a tent. <laughs> A pressurized, kind of like a pressurized, I, I, like, like when you went in, there was some, it was like some kind of, I don't know the medical term, but they had all kinds of things in this tent. So I went into this tent in December, exactly, <laughs> me and all the other people. And um, I was most concerned about the baby, obviously. And they did an ultrasound and they told me that there was a heartbeat. So I called Danny and I was like, there's a heartbeat. But they told me that um, I did lose my amniotic fluid or my water did break, but that it would uh, replenish is what they yeah, said. replenish is what they it was, said. It was going to reheal or something and replenish, which I never heard of. So I should have that should have been a red flag. But so they let me go. And I told Denny um, that they told me to be on bed rest and that it would just replenish and everything would be fine. So my in-laws came, my mom and dad came, they were trying to keep me on bed rest and, you know, 
all the things, taking care of, help take care of my kids. And I was, at this point, I was feeling really sick, like I, feverish and achy. And that whole day I started to have contractions. And um, by the evening, I was sitting in the in our living room and I started hemorrhaging. And um, I, I this is where I think the Lord first helped us because my kids weren't here. They were in the room, so they didn't have to see everything. So the Lord did, he, he helped us. It, our story, there's so many stages of life where I see that the Lord helped in, in just the little ways. And so I started hemorrhaging, and um, Denny, of course, came over, and I'll let him take it from here. So um, like you said, she started having contractions. Uh, I was trying to stay by her. My mom and sister and her mom had kind of already said, we're going to do everything we can to make sure this baby gets here. And then she started having really hard contractions. Like she said, she uh, got up to walk out of the room, and then she just started hemorrhaging. Um, God at that time gave me, uh, I don't know, peace or a calmness or whatever you want to call it. I didn't even have time to pray for that. But... Um, I was able to stay very calm through all that. I don't know how to explain that, um, but I I walked with her. She went into uh, to our we have a restroom in our room. She went into there, and um, we didn't know what to do. But it was it was looking really bad. So uh, my mom called nine one one, and she was just in our room pacing back and forth, talking to them as fast and as frantically as she could. And my mother in law, we we tease her about it now, but. She just ran out of the house barefoot in December, jumped in her car, and drove straight to this fire station. So if you know where we live, we're about two blocks from a fire station. So she went down there and, you know, basically told me, you better get to my daughter's house. She's dying. And um, so while she's gone, my the 911 operator's trying to tell my mom what to do. My mom's very, very frantic, and she just walks over and gives me the phone. And I was right there with Alicia, and so they you know, told us she needs to lay like this. She needs to do this. And they were able to, to walk me through how to help my wife until, um, the paramedics can get there. Uh, and here you go again, 2020, right? So the paramedics come to my door, open the door and would not come in the house until we answered if COVID was in the house or not. And we're like, no, nobody here has COVID, but there is a woman that's dying. You know, could you please come in? But, uh, just another frustration of the COVID time. Right. So they come in and, um, into our room and, and, um, worked with my wife, started taking vitals, all these things like that. And, um, got her on a stretcher real quick. And then, um, once they got her on the stretcher, they start heading out with her. And I was walking out with her. I was going to walk her to the ambulance and she didn't want to be alone. She kept, you know, can somebody come with me? Can, and they're just like, ma'am, we got to get you out of here. They're, they didn't even offer for me to go with her. <clears throat> Or anything like that. They're just trying to get out of here as fast as they can. And so they start walking out of the house. And I'm following behind them. Like like uh, Alicia said, my kids were in the playroom, which is where they're at right now. And uh, my dad was in there with them. And he was praying for uh, for Alicia and for the baby. and But he was also trying to keep the kids in there. Well, one of my kids, I don't know. I want to say it was Caden because he was the oldest. But I don't remember. It could have been Carter. One of them kind of came out just in time to see uh, me and the fireman and everybody walking out. And it 
freaked them out because they thought maybe the house was on fire or something. They didn't know what happened. Um, but that going back to how God um, shielded my kids from a lot of that, they didn't see what happened with my wife. And um, that, I'm sure, helped later with uh, less nightmares or whatever else kids might go through. And so we get her out to the ambulance, and um, then I... Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, what I kept saying when we were leaving, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be alone, Danny. I'd rather stay home, I was telling him. Which now, looking back, I wouldn't have rather stay home. But I kept saying, like, I'd rather stay home. I don't want to go alone. I don't want to go alone. But when we got in the ambulance, the ambulance lady was so kind. And she grabbed my hand and she said, we're going to take care of you. And she asked me about my family and my kids and just kind of calmed me down. But on the on the drive there, she told me, when we get you to the hospital, I'm going to tell them. And she gave me a big list of the things she's going to tell them. I'm going to tell them this about you. And I'm going to tell them this about you. And I'm going to tell them that about you. And it sounds really scary, she said, but... It's just so they'll see you really fast and they'll take care of you. Which later on, she was telling them all the things that was really going on so they could take care of me because ambulance drivers can't lie to the, you know, they can't lie to the people. So she was telling what was really going on with me, but it calmed me because I'm like, she's just going to say this stuff to speed up the process. It's not really happening. <laughs> but in reality, it it was as bad as she was making it as she was telling me, but in a weird way, it just calmed me down and it made it to where I wasn't, I wasn't nervous when I got there. Um, so when we got into the emergency room, I was alone again. And by this time I was really sick. I didn't know, but my body was going into, um, septic shock or I was having sepsis. Is that what it's called? Something along those lines. Yeah. Um, so I was really sick. I was th- throwing up a lot. I um I had a very high fever and just um not really in the moment. Like I I didn't really understand this st- everything that was going on. There was a lot of stuff that happened in the emergency room. I don't want to overshare like everything that happened, but it was so crazy during that time. There was so many people in the emergency room because of COVID and different things and um this is when I really felt the Lord close to me because nobody else was there for me. They wanted to be there for me, but they couldn't be there for me. So in this time is when it's, is when I say I'm so thankful that I was already a Christian and I already knew the Lord and I already knew how to pray because that's all I had in that moment. So um, they did a lot of things to me. EKGs and just a bunch of stuff. But one of the things they did do was an ultrasound. And I asked them, is there a heartbeat? And she said, when they do an ultrasound, they can't tell you the results. You have to wait for the doctor. So she's like, I can't tell you, but I've had three kids. So when I looked at it, I was, I could tell there was no heartbeat. But I asked her again, I said, is there a heartbeat? She's like, I can't tell you, you know, the doctor has to. And I said, I don't see a heartbeat. And she said, no, there's not a heartbeat. So um, I was obviously very sad. And I knew I had to tell Denny over the phone, which is not exactly how you want to do that. (laughs) But um, the Lord was with us. He he really did. He helped us a lot. So I called Denny and I told him. And so from then on, they tried to just 
give us a game plan on how we were going to deliver the baby. I, when they told me there was no heartbeat, I just wanted it to be done. I just, I just wanted it to be done. But they told me that I would have to deliver, which (laughs) that was hard to think of delivering. And, you know, usually when you deliver, you have the excitement of the baby and, and all of that. So, um, I was getting every hour, it was getting more serious. So around, I don't even remember what time I called Denny. I told him about the baby. And then I also told him that they were going to send me to labor and delivery so that we can have it. So uh, I'm going to rewind here just a little bit back to here at the house. Um, After they took her in the ambulance, I walked back in the house kind of in a fog. You know, what just happened? Uh, An hour ago, we were planning to go see lights. So I walked back in and... um, my mother-in-law's here, my mom's here, my dad's here. And so I just walked straight to our room and I was thinking she's going to need a hospital bag. They're probably going to keep her for a couple of days. And I knew everything was going wrong. I knew her water had broke the day before. But in my mind and in my heart, I still kind of believed that there was a chance for this baby. And so I was just, you know, this is going to be a long process. She's probably going to be uh, what is that called? Where they keep you in bed all the time? Um, bed rest. Bed rest. You know, but I'm going to go get her hospital bag ready, but I'm in this like weird, weird fog. And I go in the room and I'm, I like grab a bag and I'm like walking around in the room like I don't even know what to put in this thing. And uh, my mother-in-law comes in there and, and she was very shooken up. That was her daughter, you know, and she comes in and she helped me pack the bag. She's like, she's going to need a charger. She's going to need a blanket. She's going to. So she starts telling me all these things. I'm like, okay. So me and my mother-in-law packed this bag. And then I tell my dad, like, I, I want to follow the ambulance. I, I want to go. And so we're getting this together. My dad's out in the car getting it ready. And so I come in here and I hug the kids. And they got questions like crazy. I ain't got no answers. And so I'm just like, well, I, you know, I don't know. Mom's going to the hospital right now. I'm going to go check on her. And, but I'll, I'll let you guys know. Okay. So um, get in the car and on the way over there. I'm trying to process this all my, while my dad's driving. And obviously the ambulance has already been gone for 10, 15 minutes. We're not catching up to the ambulance. And uh, we're driving. I'm sitting over there kind of quiet. And I, I remember I just looking straight ahead and I, and I asked my dad, I said, do you think there's a chance that the baby's going to make it? And uh, he said, um, no, I, there probably isn't. At this point, you need to pray for your wife. And... Uh, I, I love my dad. I have a lot of respect for him. He's my pastor. But I still didn't know if he knew what he was talking about. That's weird so, that, but... <laughs> but, you know, I just kind of, well, dad's not a doctor. And maybe this baby's still going to make it. So even though I had seen everything that had happened, I it's just a hiccup along the way. We're going to keep this baby. And uh, so we go to the hospital. And um, when we get there, uh, my mother-in-law, father-in-law come. My mom comes. My dad comes. And... um because of COVID, they would not even let us near the outside door of the emergency room. <clears throat> so we stood at the edge of the grass, uh, looking towards the emergency room. There was nothing else we do. It was freezing outside that night. Very late, very cold. And uh, my brother-in-law, Pops, showed up. Um, and he uh, I don't even remember what time it was at this time. He had to work the next morning, but he was just 
was just quiet. He was just there for me. And he, he stood by me and we just stood out there and froze together. I didn't have nothing to say. Every once in a while I'd walk off by myself and I'd pray for the baby and I'd pray for my wife, pray for the baby, pray for my wife and come back and just pace back and forth. We have no way of knowing what's going, knowing what's going on. We can't yeah. talk to my wife. The only way of contact, the only way Danny was getting any information from the hospital was if I called him. And I was, in, in that moment, I wasn't really in much of a condition to call him. But I knew that was the only information he was getting, so I was trying to keep him updated. Mm-hmm. So she calls me, and I'm all excited. Like, oh, cool, she called me. And so I, I walk off and, um, you know, ask her, where are you at? How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, I just left the uh, ultrasound. And this is how naive we were, I guess. One of the one things we were hoping for when they did the ultrasound that night is that they would tell us if it was a boy or a girl. Yeah. Like we were really concerned about that. Well, is it a boy or a girl? And so she's like, I left the ultrasound room. And she said, the baby isn't alive anymore. And dad had told me <laughs> that that probably was the case. I should have seen this. But when she said that, it was like like a ton of bricks. I was not expecting that. I should have been, but I wasn't. So <clears throat> I, I said, okay. And then she told me we have to deliver because, oh, what is it called? The gestational age or something like that of the baby. We have to deliver the baby. But they're saying you get to be there for the delivery. So th- I was just like, okay, well, I can't wait to see you. And at that point, all I wanted was to be with my wife. Because nobody else was going to be able to understand. Like she would, because she was just as excited as I was. Not that everybody else wasn't excited, but, you know, this this was our baby. So <clears throat> I come back from talking on the phone. I wasn't crying. I wasn't nothing. I'm still processing this. And... uh my dad or my brother-in-law, I can't remember, one of them asked, how is she? And I just said, she said the baby didn't make it. And when the words came out of my mouth, I just crumbled, just started. I'm not a crier. I mean, in church, I might cry. But outside of church, I don't cry. I'm not a super emotional guy. Uh, I get made fun of for it. And from my family at Christmas and stuff like that, because just very dull if I like it, I I might smile, but that's about it. And I just couldn't quit quit sobbing. And uh, I remember my brother-in-law, which is probably, he's probably twice the size of me. He's not a tiny guy. And um, I remember he just stood there. He put his arm around me and he just stood there with me and let me cry like a baby. And uh, And then from then on, it was just how soon can I be with my wife? So I don't, I... It's been long enough. I I thought I would never forget these times or dates or anything, but you forget. So later, early in the morning, um, my my parents and my in-laws had taken me to a 7-Eleven. It's like all that was open around there. We got some little crackers and stuff like that. Just They're like, you're going to need to eat something because when you go in there with Alicia, you need to have eaten something or you're going to get sick and blah, blah, blah. And you know how, whatever. I didn't feel like eating, but okay. So we went and come back and then they, they, let it, they said, okay, we're going to, move her to labor and delivery. She texted me, I think, or called me one and said, they're moving me to labor and delivery and um, you could be with me at labor and delivery. Okay. So I go stand. We had had, this was going to be our third kid to have at that hospital. So I knew where to go. I go stand right there. I'm standing outside the labor and delivery room waiting for her to be uh, brought from the other side of the hospital. 
and um, I'm standing there, and, and it's there's not a whole lot of people in the hall, and I see way down in the distance, I see this crumpled up little old lady being wheeled through the hospital, and uh, I thought, oh, that poor lady, you know, she looks miserable, and they're pushing her down the hospital, and and uh, I look away, and I look back, and you know, and as it got closer, I recognized the clothes, and I was like, that's my wife. And I can't describe how she, how it affected me to see her like that. But um, they were just basically trying to keep her alive. So she was in the same condition that she had been when they put her in the stretcher, if not worse. Um, so she's, you know, I don't know how much details to give there, but she looked rough, looked like a bomb had went off. And um, so she's crumpled up on this bed. They're just willing her. She's using a purse for a pillow. And as the husband, knowing in me like how tore up she was because she just found out she's not going to be a new mom again. And then to see her in that condition, it just, it was, it was horrible. I was just like, oh my goodness. And then that's more when going back to what dad said, I was like, I do need to be praying for my wife. Like, uh, he was right. The baby didn't make it. And I need to be praying for my wife a lot. And so we went straight into labor and delivery from there. And at this point in, in the emergency room, they weren't allowing me to drink to, they weren't allowing me to do very much in the emergency room. So as soon as I got into labor and delivery, I had been asking in the emergency room, I was trying to be so sneaky. I was asking everybody for a drink because I was incredibly thirsty. Like, I I can't even explain how thirsty I was. I was asking the janitors. I was asking the nurses. Like, anybody who would listen to me, anybody, I would say, can I please have something to drink? And they'd say, let me go ask your nurse. Then they'd come back. No, your nurse can't. We don't know if you're going to have to have a surgery or whatever. And they wouldn't. So when I got into labor and delivery, first thing I asked the nurse in there, can I please have a drink? And she's like, Absolutely. So I got my drink in the labor and delivery. And um, so the, a lot of the labor and delivery part for me was uh, like, I don't remember a lot of it because I wasn't very well. So I'll just skip to the part where we, we had our baby. Um, the part in this story that is really sad to me is usually when I have my babies and they tell you that you're dilated to a 10 and all the nurses come in and the doctors come in and they're like, it's go time. And they're all excited. And they bring in this warm bed for the baby and they, they're rushing around the room and doing all these things. But this particular time they're like, well, mom, you're dilated to a 10. No rush. Whenever you want to do, whenever you want to have the baby, it's up to you. And that was really hard because there was no excitement. There was no, there was no warm baby bed, nobody rushing in, no doctors, no extra nurses. There was no baby nurse, no baby doctor. There was just, so that was a very difficult time. But me and Denny have both talked about it. We felt the Lord really, really help us through all these, these moments that were, that would crush you really. I mean, some people are stronger than others, but for us, it was a crushing experience. And that particular feeling, I remember, and the Lord just helped us. He was with us. So they asked us, when you deliver your baby, do you want to see him? Which we didn't know what it was. And we're like, sure, yeah. And so we found out we were having a boy. Mm -hmm. 
And he was very, very tiny, but he had everything was perfect about him, of course. <laughs> he was our baby. <laughs> but um, he, he was just perfect. And um, we got to be with him for like an hour or two. I'm just holding him. We named him. Um, we just had some time with him. And we had a really great nurse. And she was very professional, just kind of taking care of us. But shift changed. We got a new nurse named Samantha, and Denny loved her. Yeah. Yeah, so after the baby was born, we, um, like she said, he was perfect, and he was very tiny. I think he was three inches long, if I remember right, but completely formed. Fingers, knuckles, elbows, toes, like, it was so cute because he was so miniature, but everything was there, and he actually resembled one of our other kids. We could already see the resemblance. It was really, it was incredible. Uh, and it would make you fight every abortion clinic in the world because it was like, he was perfect at that age already. And um, this lady we had, like she said, she was from Tennessee. I remember that. I don't remember her name. She was very friendly, had that Southern draw and just very nice. And I was like, oh, you know, it's, she's making the best of the situation. And, you know, she tell my, call my wife, honey and, and all this stuff, you know, and, and, uh, shift change and Samantha came in I don't remember the other nurse's name but Samantha came in and she was probably my mom's age and uh, she was a woman of very few words and she comes in and she just starts kind of grilling the nurse in front of her asking all these questions about my wife and blah 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 and well you know she's just not a good bedside manner nurse you know that's what I was thinking in my head and um the Lord really helped us because my wife was so sick up to the point of the delivery. And we had this space, like she mentioned, of probably a couple of hours where my wife was very coherent, very calm, not breathing in pain like she had been. And God gave us that time to uh, cherish the only time we was going to have with that little boy. And so we tried to take full advantage of it. I have this song that I sing to my kids when they go to sleep. Uh, it's a Christmas song. I sang them the song. I wrestled with them. I tickled them. I did everything I would have done with them because I knew I only had this couple of hours. And uh, my wife held them and kissed them and sang to them. And we did it. We knew we just had this little bit of time. And then Samantha comes in and she starts questioning. Well, at this time, my wife was getting sleepy. And so she's, you hold the baby. I think I'm going to take a nap. And she's getting real exhausted. Well, she had had this crazy night. And I'm like, she's probably just tired. And Samantha starts grilling the other nurse, just question, question, question. And I thought, this lady's kind of rude. And then she'd come over and she'd look at my wife's monitor. I don't know what any of those blinking numbers mean, right? And she'd look at it and she'd go over to the wall and she'd get on the phone. And then she'd come back and look at the monitor and she would be touching my wife and just like, and um, strictly business, not saying anything to us hardly at all, was she? That I remember. And well, she did ask me how I was feeling. Yeah. And um, I remember one time you set up to say something to I her. I know. I asked her if I can use a restroom. Okay. That's what it was. You asked if you use a restroom and Alicia set up. And when she did that lady very forcefully, she, she, bo like, she put both of her hands on my shoulders and just slammed and threw on me the bed. down on the bed. Just boom. And, and I I'm, just looked at her. Both of us were like, what in the world? And she goes, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. When you set up, your blood pressure went. Your blood pressure dropped to the floor. 
And it's like, well, okay, well, that's weird. Well, she just had a baby, you know. I'm still unbelievably dumb <laughs> right? <laughs> about what's going on. And so she would go over to the wall. She would get on the phone. And she'd come over and be watching numbers, talking to my wife. And she kept saying, all right, I'm going to give her another bolus, I think is what she would call it. And she'd hook up another bag and start pumping stuff into my wife. She'd go over the phone. She'd come back. And she just kept doing this. But she never left. And usually, if you've had a baby, they come in the room a lot. But they don't stay with you. And this lady never left our room. And she only left Alicia's side to go to the phone. And she just kept doing this to the phone, to Alicia, to the phone, to Alicia, to the phone, to Alicia. So I'm watching this lady. And all of a sudden, it's kind of coming in my head here a little bit like, I think something's wrong. So I, I, I start kind of listening to her on the phone. And she's talking about heart rate and blood pressure. And something else but those are the things i i was kind of getting what she was saying and then i started noticing she would come look at the monitor and then go to the phone and say what the numbers were so I, then i started watching the numbers then it came back to me about um there's a, a man in our church brother mike chamberlain and he talked to me uh, he talked one time about not to me specifically just to people about sitting by his mom his uh, mother's bed when she was passing away and how he watched her blood pressure as it was dropping and he knew by her blood pressure that she was, they were fixing a loser. And that came back to me in that minute. And I just started laser focusing on this blood pressure. And I noticed, just like this brother had said, his mo mother's blood pressure did, my wife's blood pressure was doing the exact same thing. Just kept going lower and lower and lower and lower. Um, so I was starting to realize something's not right. Um, my this doctor goes over to the phone I mean this nurse go to the phone come back and she goes over to the phone and then I hear over the loudspeaker code I don't know what it was and they said a room number and I you hear that in the hospital all the time I don't ever pay attention to it hardly I do now but I didn't then and all of a sudden when she said that I realized that's our room number and I no more than thought that and the room completely filled up there was doctors, nurses, and they just kind of shoved me out. And they completely surrounded the bed. They laid my wife flat. They tilted her legs up. They're trying to get stuff, the blood to stay at her head or something. I don't remember what they told me they were doing. And they... Yeah, uh, they put... They lowered the bed down to where my head was all the way down and my legs were up. And then they grabbed my arms and they were giving me, in, like, injecting stuff instead of through the IV, just straight into my arms. And um, they were not, none of these doctors were labor and delivery doctors. They were from the um, emergency room ICU team or something like that. Oh, yeah. It was the yeah, I, intensive care. Intensive care rapid response team or something like that. Mm -hmm. They told me later. I was asking questions later because I'm trying to figure out what happened. Um, and so they did these random things. And whatever they did, her blood pressure came up. And I was like, oh, it worked, you know. I know so little about what's going on and the nurse tells me they gave her and she told me what it was it's probably some name I couldn't pronounce anyways and that will basically artificially make her blood pressure go up really fast and it gives them enough time to get her to ICU that's not a lot of time that that works yeah if I understood it right now like I say I'm not a doctor me neither. and I'm in a fog and maybe it was explained to me differently but that's the way I understood it and uh then the nurse says, um, okay, 
you need to tell your wife bye. And I'm like, like, bye, see you in a little bit. You know, what are we what are we talking about here? And um, then she tells me, you, you may not see your wife again. And <laughs> not what you want to hear. So I. She asked, she asked if a lot of that team could step out into the hall. She said they need to say goodbye. Can They didn't all leave, but she asked if some of them can step out into the hall. Yeah. So they stepped out for a little bit and stepped back. And I walked over to my wife with strangers around me and, you know, tried to get down there beside her. And all I told her was I, I didn't have this great poem of I'll see you in heaven and all these <laughs> wonderful thoughts. I told her. You better yeah, of course, not leave his last me. words to me were going to be lectured. Yeah. <laughs> you better not leave me. I do not want to go through this life without you. He I kept need saying, you. you better not leave I need me. you now so much. I just found out I, we lost the baby, and now my wife's about to leave me. I'm like, do not leave me. And I'm like trying to like and I was, realize. I was taking her words very serious, and I was telling him, you'll do great. You're going to be an awesome dad. You're such an awesome dad already. You're going to be perfect. You're all they need. Kept telling him, you're all there, you're all the kids need. And he was like, don't you dare leave me. I was just like, like panicking, almost like, don't leave, you know. And uh, that was it. I told her I loved her. We, had, her. A, we had about 30 seconds 30 to a minute. 30 seconds to a minute. And then they're like, okay, we got to go. And then they just, psh, she's gone. And uh, left me alone in this room with the baby. And so <laughs> another instance where I'm like, what just happened? And so I, I grabbed our little boy. Really, all of that happened so fastly because she wasn't telling us, hey, your blood pressure is dropping so much. I'm nervous that something's seriously wrong with you. She was just taking care of business. She was just like constantly putting stuff in the IV, on the phone, like constantly. So me and Denny both felt like we were a little in the dark when all of a sudden everybody comes in and we're, I mean, I knew I was sick. But I didn't know that it was to that extent. Yeah, I text. Uh, I had a, a little group text going with I think my mom, my mother, and my dad, if I remember right. Me and my father-in-law too. But um, I just texted one and said, "I don't know what's happening, but the doctor just filled up, the room just filled up with doctors. I need you guys to pray." Basically, something along those lines. I'd have to find the text to read it. But um, so they rush her out. I'm in there with this little boy, uh, and I'm holding the little boy, like. I don't know what to do. And the door opens and the janitor walks in. She thought the room was already empty. They, she just, they left with the lady, thought the room was empty. And as this little Mexican grandma lady, she had a very hard accent. And she's seen me and, you know, in her accent, she comes in, oh, mijo, I'm so sorry. Um, and she's seen my baby. I was holding the baby. And she came over just like my Aunt Ramona would have done. And she just put her arm around me. And she told me how cute my little boy was. And she bragged on my little boy and uh, just made me feel uh, real special, you know, because there I was in this just, I don't even know what's going on situation kind of thing. And this little, this little old janitor lady comes in and just spends some time bragging on my baby. My parents were not able to come do that. Nobody was able to come do that because of COVID. But somebody came and seen the baby and told me how cute the baby was and all this stuff. And then she said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll come back and get the room later. And she walked out and then they came in with some nurses and they have a, a group that makes packages for babies that are stillborn. 
And they came in and they had a crocheted bassinet and all this stuff. They put him in this little bassinet. They took his picture. They did all these different things. And then they said, okay, we have to, we have to take him um, to where they store the bodies until the funeral home could pick him up. And I said, okay, so they wrapped him up and did their thing and got ready to leave. And then they said, um, unfortunately, you're going to have to leave now. You can't go to ICU and you can't stay here. And so I was like, oh, okay, I, my wife's gone. My baby's gone. Uh, I guess I'll just go outside. You know, like, is just the weirdest time. And anybody that dealt with anything in COVID knows how weird that time was. So I walked outside and uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law were both standing there when I walked in the parking lot. And they just, I, they're, you know, my second parents and they treat me just like a son. And they just wrapped me up like they would any of their kids. And they just held me and we just stood there and like, what just happened? And it prayed with me and cried with me. And, and, um, I'll, I'll stop there for a little bit and let my wife tell a little bit about her end. Yeah. So, <clears throat> like I, I've already said, I was kind of, I wasn't feeling well enough to know everything that was going on, but I realized that Denny had to leave and they rushed me to ICU. And when I got there, there was tons of people waiting for me when my bed got wheeled in and they start doing all this stuff on me. And one of them tells me she's going to put a an IV thing in my neck. I'm That's not the correct medical term, but, it was like an IV in my neck. And I was like, no, I kept saying, no, I don't want that in my neck. Can't you put it somewhere else? And they said, we, um, maybe that it was, they needed to get a main vein or something so they can get something into me faster than just a regular IV in my arm. Cause I had one in my arm, but they wanted to get one somewhere else. So I was like, no, I don't want it in my neck. I kept telling them I don't want it in my neck. And this is the moment when I realized that it was as serious as it was. Cause the nurse, Got my, got my face, and she said, this is a life or death situation. We need to put this IV in you now. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. So I asked her, is there anywhere else you could put it beside my, besides my neck? And she told me they could put it somewhere on my leg and my inner thigh. So I was like, absolutely put it there. I'd rather it there than in my neck. <laughs> but that was the moment that I realized, like, this is she says a life or death situation. So I was in ICU a little over 24 hours. But the the main part of this story is when I went to ICU, it was a Wednesday night. And my dad's church um, canceled like their regular service. And they just had a prayer meeting for, for me and Denny. And then I'm not sure if Raisin City had like a, I don't think they had a prayer meeting service, but they did have like a, a special prayer for us. I don't remember myself. I have to go back and if I wrote it down. The only reason I know dad's church did that is um, because half of the, not half, but quite a few people came to the parking lot to be with mom and dad and just pray there. So it, I knew that they had done that, but... I don't think that's a coincidence that I went on a Wednesday night and God's people were praying and I didn't have to be there longer than 24 hours. The Lord really did help. Um, probably in the middle of the night in ICU, I woke up and I went to, to move my arms and my arms wouldn't move and my legs wouldn't move. 
And I called the nurse over there and I was like, um, my, on my arms, I can't move my arms and I can't move my legs. And she said, that's because you're, you're sep, you're septic and your body is shutting down those, those members. So it can concentrate on your bigger organs, like your, um, so it can concentrate on your kidneys and your, all those things trying to keep your heart functioning. So it's shutting down the things that it, it doesn't think is as important which I didn't understand because I wasn't feeling very well at all. I was kind of confused. So I kept telling her, I can't move. It's from my, um, I got an epidural when I delivered the baby. And I said, it's from my epidural. I'm paralyzed from my epidural. And she's like, no. She kept trying to explain to me, no, this is because of your sepsis. You can't, um, your, your limbs are doing this because of your sepsis. Well, I asked her if she can call my husband. And so she did. And it was in the middle of, early morning. And I told Denny, um, Denny, I can't move my arms and I can't move my legs. I think, I think the epidural, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a little hard headed, just like Denny. It sounds like, I was like, I think the epidural paralyzed me. And then, um, I asked him, can you please pray for me? I don't, I told him, I don't want to be paralyzed for the rest of my life. So he prayed and he touched the Lord for me because I was able to go to sleep after that. I still wasn't able to move my limbs, but I was able to go to sleep after that. And then the next day, um, I called Denny and I was like, they're going to let me out of ICU. They said that I wasn't as critical as I was the, the night before. And so they, um, some of the nurses wanted to just put me on a regular floor, on a regular floor. But there was this one nurse who was advocating for me. She's like, no, she needs to go back to labor and delivery because she's, you know, she just had a baby. And if she goes there, her husband can be with her. They're like, no, she doesn't have a baby. So she needs to go to a regular floor. And this nurse was like, no, she just had a baby. So they went back and forth. But the Lord really helped us because that nurse, she was a feisty one. And she got it to where we can go. I can go back to labor and delivery. And Jenny was able to come with me. So, um, I, one thing I want to share during the ICU night, um, everybody came in the parking lot. There was, uh, quite a lot of family friends there trying to support, trying to pray with us and be with us or whatever. And, um, some of my brother-in-laws and different ones. I don't remember. Everybody was there. Uh, somebody was going to bring our kids to be with us. And I just said, put them in the expedition. Uh, it's got all the car seats and everything already. And they went to get in the expedition. I think it was my sister. I can't remember to bring him. And I, it was almost out of gas. I had forgot to fill it up with gas. And there was so many people wanting to help us. Um, brother Jason and sister Amy from our church said, go to the gas station right now and we'll fill it up. And they filled our expedition up. And, um, I don't remember what gas was at the time, but it has a 34 gallon tank. So no matter what gas was, it was still a lot of money. And uh, they came in and said, brother Jason filled up your, expedition and it was things like that all the way through where people just are so thoughtful there's nobody like god's children they just are always uh selfless they're always trying to help other people and so they show up with my kids i told my kids what's going on um my kids i didn't tell them nothing about alicia besides that we need to pray for mom she's very sick i told them that they were not going to be getting a little baby told them it was a brother what his name was all that stuff And then my dad and mom said, again, you need to eat. 
have you eaten since we went to that 7-Eleven? I thought about it. I said, no, no, I haven't. You need to eat. I said, I don't want to eat anything. My wife's in ECU. You have to eat. And they're very insistent. And so, is anything sounds good? What What do you want us to get? You know, on and on and on. Nothing sounded good. Everything sounded greasy. It's going to sound funny probably, but I thought, well, chicken nuggets are never greasy. They're kind of dry. So I told him, I said, uh, I think I could probably eat some chicken nuggets. And my dad said, jump in the car. We'll go get something. So we jump in the van, and we barely are pulling out of the hospital in the van, and my dad's phone rings. And it was Brother David Blythe from uh, Gypsy, Oklahoma. They, they're traveling evangelist. And um, he called my dad, and he said, uh, Brother Denver, this is Brother David Blythe. And this is night here. I don't know what time it was where he was at. I don't know if he was in Oklahoma, Georgia. I don't know where he was. He said, uh, Brother Denver, I heard your daughter-in-law is in the hospital. And he said, uh, yeah, she is. I... Just a second. I got the burst on my phone. Okay, so um, I'll pick up here. So Brother David Blythe calls and he said, I, I heard your daughter-in-law's in the hospital and she's not doing well. And my dad said, yeah, she's in ICU right now. And he said, well, I felt like calling you and giving you this verse. And to my knowledge, Brother David didn't know what was going on at all. I mean, as far as he knew she was in the hospital and that was it. Because we didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, I knew something was wrong with my wife and she was in ICU and her blood pressure dropped. That's all I knew. I found out the details later. She knew about sepsis and stuff. I didn't. I wasn't talking to the doctors. They weren't talking to me. So he calls and he says, the verse I want to tell you is, and when I passed, thee, when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thy own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. And he did not say much more than that. He, you know, we'll be praying for you guys. That's what I felt like telling you. And was off the phone. And um, later, I found out that my wife was dying from a blood infection. I didn't know that. I just knew, live. That sounds good. God said live. Okay. But the detail where God was saying, polluted in my blood. And maybe that's not what the verse means, but for this situation, it matched so unbelievably perfect. And uh, that, was, that was a very powerful moment for us to get that phone call and just God pinpointed down to exactly what she was dying from and saying, live. That was awesome. So we went home that night uh, and, and I didn't know what to do, but I knew they wouldn't see my, let me see my wife. And I knew my kids were going to be very tore up. So I said, I'm going to go home. I'm sleeping with my kids tonight. They need me and I need them. And so we all slept in my bed and I laid down and thought, is this how the rest of my life's going to be? Um, but I tried not to think about it too long or I wouldn't have been able to sleep. And then not long after that, Alicia called me and I had told her, if you wake up and you can't sleep or anything, you call me and we'll just talk. Cause I just wanted to talk to her, but she never felt good enough to talk to her on the phone. So she called me and I was like, just a second. And I snick out of the room, come to the living room to talk to her. And she goes, I'm paralyzed. And that's when we prayed. And until she was able to go to sleep and then they said, like she said, we're going to be to labor and delivery. Went the next day to uh, my in-laws. Left my kids with my in-laws. They planned a party day. Um, my aunt, I mean my aunt, my kid's aunt, my sister-in-law, bought a humongous box of Nerf bullets. I've never seen a box so big. Invited all the cousins over. And 
they kept kept my kids so occupied shooting Nerf bullets at each other that they never knew I left. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that was uh, little things like that it really helped. So I get to the hospital and um, my wife at this time, they had her a lot more stable. So that time um, we were able to really just be together and grieve and we we got in there in labor and delivery together and we had a, a multiple nurses that were just off the hook above and beyond what they could ever do and i believe it was the first night we were there samantha came in and i'll let my wife tell that part samantha came in the next morning and she said i had to come and see you and i was like okay she said I heard that you got out of ICU and she said, when I sent you to ICU, I did not think you were going to live. She said, I was looking at your numbers. I was seeing everything that was going on. And whenever we send somebody to ICU in the condition that we sent you in, they don't live. She said, so I just had to come and see you. And, and then that was another moment where I was like, I, I was pretty serious and I didn't even realize <laughs> Thankfully, the Lord just kept us at peace. You know, I don't, it was the prayer of the saints, I'm sure. But th- those when they when people said stuff like that, it makes our miracle so much greater. Uh, and and when uh, Samantha came back in, I I tried to make a point to let her know I was very thankful that she was the kind of nurse that she was, because she was not there to visit with us. She did come and visit later. She visited with my li- my wife that night and. Um. Yep, stop. Uh, we're <laughs> we're back in the room together, and um, she's doing way better. We're able to actually talk, and um, she's telling me about what happened in ICU. But um, we uh had a lot of hurdles to go through. So the first day, she's in there. They say, okay, today we're going to work on, and they tell me a number. And even though she was out of ICU and in there, the little Christmas tree, I, I call it, the thing that sticks up with all the hooks on it that your IV runs through, it had one bag on every leg, and some of the legs had two. I don't. I I used to remember how many bags were going in at the same time. I don't remember now. But there was just tons of bags of stuff going in here, and they're constantly adding things through IV and um, trying to get her numbers all right. Her numbers were so far off because in ICU, they just pump things into her to stabilize her, and then now they have to try to normalize her numbers out again. So the first day, they're working on one number. But at the end of the day, like, we think we got it. And I remember being like, yes. And the next day, they come in and they're like, okay, we need to work on your breathing. And so they give her this little contraption to measure how deep she can breathe and they they're noticing things i don't even notice and they say um you're panting like a dog all the time and i hadn't caught this until they tried to measure her breathing and she couldn't move the measuring thing whatever you call it at all and they're like this is what we have to work on you're not breathing and they worked on her and worked on her and worked on her and um to the point where you kind of get a little frustrated, like leave her alone, you know, but they were, they were trying to fix her, but they kept doing this and working on her breathing and then they'd leave and then come back and 
are you doing your thing? And I'm thinking, no, she's not working on it. When you guys are gone, she's exhausted. You need to work on this. They kept, it's going to settle. You're going to get pneumonia. They're telling her all these different things. And so she's trying her best, but she can't even hardly breathe. And blah, 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 blah. They find out that they had put so much fluid in her that the fluid was sitting on her lungs, if I remember right. That's why she couldn't breathe. So then they had to go in and put something in her to get all this fluid off her lungs. So they do that. So it's like a two-day process here. Then they get that done. I'm like, oh, cool. Now she can breathe. And they got that number normal. Today we're going to work on, and it was like this every day. <laughs> We'd wake up and find out what we had to fix Yeah, now. a lot of times there would be like four different specialists coming in. And they're like, we were looking at your panels and... We see that these numbers, and me and Denny are just like, well, I didn't even know there was numbers for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but, um, so we were kind of getting used to just random things coming. Well, a therapist comes in with a uh, walker, and she's like, all right, Alicia, we're going to see if you can walk. And by this time, I had already got movement back in my arms. So I was thinking, like, why is she going to see if, if I could walk? Like, but, I hadn't got out of the bed since I came out of ICU. And the, if they had to do tests on me, they just kind of plop me over into the next bed and roll me in, you know, to the, the tests that I had to do. So I was thinking like, I, I can move my arms. So I could probably, I didn't have strength in my arms. Like I couldn't pick up a cup to drink. Then he would have to do that for me, but I can move them. So I was like, that's kind of weird. So she gave me the walker and, um, I, I think I only took four steps and Denny says they weren't steps. He said they were four drags and then I crumbled and that's when we knew like, oh, okay, this is a bigger deal than we thought. Mm -hmm. So overall I was in the hospital for seven days and <laughs> they sent me home with um, this walker. And when I got home, I was so happy to be home. I was greeted by, all my family that hadn't got to see me and I'd been wanting to see them. And so, and that's when they see me for the first time. And my mom couldn't believe that I couldn't hardly walk. It took me forever to get through the front door on a walker. Just, she was like, Alicia, you're better. This is you better. I'm like, yes, mom, this is me better. She couldn't believe it. She's like, it's taking you forever to get through the front door. So we went a couple of weeks like that with my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law's, uh, my sister and my mom just taking care of me. Our church ladies made meals for us and your mom came and brought me all kinds of like tissues and toilet papers and just all kinds. Our church people did all kinds of stuff for us, but people were really carrying my load of taking care of my house and my kids because I was extremely slow on a walker. Denny was having to help me with all of the and the homeschooling and just things around the house. I was getting pretty weary of it. And we were still trying to go to church and our church has a hundred steps. Is that right, Stephen? <laughs> uh, not quite. Okay. No, it doesn't have a hundred steps, but when you're using a walker, it feels like there's a lot. Yeah. Wheelchair ramp, not installed. No. Old building. <laughs> yeah. It's an old church. It's a beautiful church, but it's old. And, um, we we were trying to go. We didn't go for a little bit, but if I would, Denny would drive me around back and to the back of the church where there was less stairs and he would lift one of my legs and then I would pull myself with my arms and then he would lift my other leg. And that's how I was able to get in the church. During this time, it was still COVID. 
So we were sitting by families in the church and my family had the front seat. So I had to be on a walker at what? 31. Was I 31? On the front seat, which does a lot to your pride. You know, I was already, I was already not doing good because of trying to deal with the grief and the loss. And then I was wanting to go to church and, but also knowing that it was going to be in front of everybody. People were going to have to see how I was. But I was, I was going to throw this in right here that um, I think what would have been dangerous to me in that time, I felt uh, alone. I felt hurt. Physically, I was hurt. Um, I was exhausted. And in those situations, you feel like, I just, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. But if we hadn't have went to this specific, this specific service, I would have missed out on the greatest, the greatest thing that happened to me. Yeah. So just, um, kind of reiterate there. I was, we come home. I was so glad to have my wife alive. That was all I cared about. And she would apologize about, I'm so sorry, actually, for the first couple of weeks, we couldn't even sleep in our room because our bed was too tall. So we had to sleep in my daughter's bed, which is a smaller bed and a shorter bed. And so I'd have to pick her up, put her in bed, and then I'd get in bed. And it was, I've never lived with a 90-year-old person, but it's what I would call like living with a 90-year-old person. Um, she had to be helped to do everything. I didn't mind. She apologized all the time. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is embarrassing. I didn't mind. She was alive. And that's all that mattered. And so um, we would get to... Go ahead and confess what you told me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was so glad she was alive when she came back from ICU. And we're sitting there one night, like in the hospital, you don't know what, what's day and what's night. They're always in and out. You're awake, all kinds of. So we're sitting there probably two in the morning. Oh, stop. And you were I, wide I awake. Was wide, I was so out of it and delirious. <laughs> he was wide awake. <laughs> Anyways, I, I looked at her and I said, um, you know, thinking I was about to lose you makes every argument we've ever had look so dumb. And every time I've got on to you for spending money or anything like that just seems so dumb. And I said something along the lines of, I think if you ask me if you could spend a million dollars, I would try to make it work. That's what he said. And of all the numbers she forgot during the <laughs> she never forgot that number. <laughs> so how, how much I, progress have you made on that? Well, I'm still she's still working I'm on it. I'm still working on I, it. I, she hasn't I, found I wanted a to know if, to it, if I could do that in one lump sum or if I had to, you know, <laughs> space it out between years. Yeah. So Anyways, we get home and so thrilled to have her home. The kids are, um, and I just was like, this is our new life. But I thought my new life was going to be a single parent. So I way rather have a handicapped wife than be a single single parent. So um, we just kind of going into, this is our new stage. My wife was very slow at everything. My, my uh, siblings came out for Christmas. My parents, they like to rent a... Uh, a big motel room at the beach and we'll all go that's kind of our Christmas present for them we'll all go stay in this room uh, well these rooms it's more than one room 
And um, it's just super nice place that we would never pay for, but my parents pay for it. And hang out, have a good time. We went and um, we rented a wheelchair because my dad was just like, she can't do the walker. It's too much walking. We rented her a wheelchair and we wheeled her everywhere, just like an old lady. We got to the, uh, during lunch, we sat down to eat and she just laid her head on the picnic table and slept all through lunch. That was just our life. And it was okay. So we get to uh, January 10th, Sunday afternoon. She gets up from a nap and tries to get out of bed. And when she stood up, her legs wouldn't work. She didn't have her walker. So she got out of bed to stand up and just fell to the floor. So I ran over there, caught her, um, stood her back up, and she said, well, I I still want to go to church. So we were very late to church that night. I don't know how late, but I know we were very late. And as we were coming up the stairs, my mom was coming down the stairs. And if I remember right, she said she was going outside to call us to make sure we were okay because we had told her we were coming. We get up to the top and I'm getting the service and the Spirit of God starts moving um, as the junior choir was singing eight to 12 year olds, moving in a very strong way. And um, we're just standing there. And my wife, I'm just standing there. I don't even think Alicia was standing up. I think she was sitting down. And um, so I'm just standing there and she gets... She taps me and said, um, can you ask your dad, which most of you guys know, but my dad's the pastor. Can you ask your dad if, if I can get prayed for? Sure. No problem. You know? So I, I kind of motioned for dad and I, Alicia wants to get prayed for while the spirit of God's moving. Okay. Yeah. No problem. And then he just kind of, Alicia wants prayer. So she does the kind of the little, just, we were literally front bench. The altar was right in front of her. She just kind of plops over to the altar. And the, the elders of the church, the deacons come up and, and they start praying for my wife and the spirit of God fell in a, just a powerful way. You you know, those services though, where everybody's being touched. That's, yeah. that's like, that's how it felt in there. Like I could feel the prayers of the saints just like interceding for me. And so I, um, I was praying and I felt the Lord so strong. I felt like the Lord said to run around the front of the church. And you've already heard everything that I've just said. I wasn't doing walking, let alone running. But the Lord was there so, so strong. And so I sat there and I was listening to everybody praying and I was praying. I'm going to try to say this part without crying, but I probably won't be able to. Um, I, I'm a pastor's daughter, so I... I have always been honest with God, even if it's not, you know, pleasant for me or puts me in the best light. So I told him, I said, Lord, my trust has been fractured. I still, I still trust you, but my trust is fractured because I prayed so much that we would be able to keep this baby. This baby, it just lit up our year of 2020. We were so excited. Our kids were so excited. And I prayed that you would just keep him alive and you didn't. And so my faith is fractured. And now you're asking me to run around the front of the church. (laughs) And so I, I felt the Lord so strong. And in that moment of me telling him exactly how I felt, he imparted me the faith. Like I just felt the faith to do exactly what he said. So I, I kind of stopped the church from praying and I said, this is going to sound 
crazy or weird. I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but I said, I feel like the Lord wants me to go around the front of the church. I might fall flat on my face, but I want, I want to obey him. And so I, I, I'm standing there, not right beside her, but not too far when she says that. And immediately the thought comes into my mind. I mean, I'm following her everywhere. I'm helping her step up the steps. And I thought I need to go right behind her and I need to catch her. And immediately I, I, I said, no, I can't. Because if I do, that's showing that I don't believe or I don't have faith. And so I just stood there and prayed. So I got up and I just started walking around the front of the church without a walker, without Denny standing beside me, behind me. I just by myself. No, I wasn't by myself. I was with the Lord. And he helped me to walk around the front of the church. And then I heard, I, I heard him say, I said, run around the front of the church. So by this time, the church is like worshiping the Lord and thanking the Lord for because they have seen me come in um, service after service, just broken from the inside, broken on the outside. They've watched this, this happen to us. And they've watched how the Lord just, just guided us and helped us in each step. And now they're watching how the Lord is transforming the way that I was, you know, I walked in crippled and now I'm running around the front of the church and the Lord just done such a, just such a miraculous thing that night. I've never seen anything so drastic. I don't think that I have, but I sure haven't ever been a part of anything that drastic. And even after church, my brain hadn't caught up with the fact that I was healed. So I'm just standing there talking. Usually I would have to sit down and I'm like, I could just stand here and I could just walk to the next person and talk to them. I don't have to have Denny or a walker. And the Lord, he, he absolutely did a complete healing in my body that night. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And um, I was thrilled. And next morning, I just got up and I went to work. And tried to be as normal as possible, like not worry, but still, did that really happen? You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> um, I'm I'm at work that day, and um, I I call her at lunchtime or something like that. Is it? So, uh, how how you doing? How you feeling? And so I told him. <laughs> she said I had been I had been laying on the couch or sitting on the couch for a couple weeks, weeks now. Yeah, and the specific couch that I was on. I could see underneath the other couch all the dust and the dirt that was under there because I was just in the <laughs> same place this whole time. Well, my mom and my sister and my sister-in-laws and they would come over and do my laundry and clean, but I wasn't going to tell them, hey, get underneath my couch. It's so bad under <laughs> there. So Denny calls me and he's like, hey, how are you? What's going on? Yeah, and I just like, like thinking, oh, I, I had a pretty good day or whatever. And she goes, well, I just finished rearranging the furniture. <laughs> I was like, you did what? And then she goes on this thing. You wouldn't believe. I, I mean, I seen so much dirt under this and she just going on and on and on. <laughs> and she's like, can you help me a little bit? But uh, yeah, we moved the couches. We moved the chairs and I couldn't believe it. And, and I came home and, and there was something else she did that day. I cannot remember what it was. Oh, she I had, went grocery shopping. Okay. Yeah. Because then she I goes grocery shopping. Because I hadn't got to, you know, people were picking up stuff for us. So I, that was something I needed to do. I need, I needed to get back to work. I was finally walking. <laughs> so she, she goes grocery shopping. And so by the time I got home and a normal, you know, I worked at that time, seven to five and I get home at five thirty, 
she had already rearranged the living room, went grocery shopping, and done all her normal stuff that she did as a mom. And I walked in and I just laughed at her. And I said, you're just showing off your healing. And this is exactly what I said, because that's exactly what it seemed like. It was not a gradual, she got a little better, and then she got a little better. It was, she collapsed Sunday night. Monday night, she already rearranged the furniture, went grocery shopping, and did her normal duties of the day. And that was, it was just unbelievable, the transformation that happened in one service. And she hasn't had any type of setback at all. There's never a time where all of a sudden she starts dragging a leg or anything like that. No, I have had my doctor, my gynecologist call and say that they were, they were, um, they seen everything that I went through and what had happened to me. They were filing a, a complaint is how they worded it. Or I don't remember. She was somehow, because they weren't supposed to send me home with my water broke. And so just all these things were trickling in about how serious that I was and how much the Lord touched me from ICU all the way to this miraculous healing in front of the church. There was so many little details. I'm even one time a chaplain came into the room and she asked, can I pray for you? And I sure I could use prayer. And she started praying for us. And then when she was done, she said, man, this room, there's something about this room. It feels so, I don't remember if she said peaceful or if I could, I could feel this, the spirit in here. And she proceeded to tell us that her, she said, can I share some things with you? And we're like, sure. She told us that her husband was addicted to um, alcohol and it ended up being where she asked us for prayer and me and Denny prayed for her and, and gave her some Bible verses and talked to her. There were so many things Mm -hmm. in our story where the Lord was just there. People sent us text messages with verses and um, one of my, my good friends, brother Andrew, he, uh, I think he cash after me. I can't remember what it is. Somehow he sent me money. And that was the exact amount of money that I had to pay the funeral home for my son. And that was very special to me because it was, this is the cost of the funeral home. And he cash after me the money. And that, uh, I told him later, I said, uh, you know, thank you for the money. And thankfully at the time we weren't like in desperate need of money, but it was still, when you're going through craziness, not having to worry about certain things is so, so nice. And he sent the exact amount of money that I had to pay the funeral home. And that was very special to me. That Another detail, right? But did he know about, about no. the amount? No, okay. he did not know. Uh, because we didn't tell everybody what we are doing with the funeral home. My dad took care of most of that for me. While I was in the hospital, he called asking what he could do. And I said, I need to set up stuff for the funeral home, but I can't do it. I, I can't emotionally do it. And so he took care of all that for me and met me at the funeral home. And <clears throat> I signed the papers, but he had everything taken care of for me. Um, then... Um, I, I wanted to share this, and I know we're going really long here, but when um when it was all over, I had been, I feel like, very strong for my wife, for my kids. Um, I hadn't felt shaky. I The Lord had really helped me to be um, consistent, uh, consistently calm in a lot of ways. I cried every day, every night. I cried a lot, but... um in those weird situations, I was able to handle it pretty good. And after my wife got healed, she was doing so much better. The, our church actually started revival and we had a revival not long after that. And the church had a wonderful revival. But after my wife got healed, um, this may to my shame or whatever, I don't know what what the word is, but, um, I crumbled internally. All the, the 
keep her alive was gone. All the everything's fine now, and all of a sudden everything just kind of in uh, my emotions, I, I guess whatever you want to call it. And like I say, I'm not an emotional guy, but I just crumbled. I started having uh, nightmares, um, very tormented. I wake up and and hearing the beeping of the machines and on all kinds of just random stuff. He was like that. he was keeping it all together during this time. I they wouldn't release us from the hospital unless I walked a certain amount of steps with the walker. So we would have to go in the hallway and I would take just a few steps, but we were walking right alongside the moms who were trying to, who were in labor and trying to have their babies. And I would be crying and Denny was holding it together for me. He's like, you got this, you're okay. And then the next day or a couple hours later, we would go back in the hallway and he'd try to get me to walk. And I would see a mom with a newborn baby leaving the hospital. We were walking the same halls. And so he held it together for me all this time. So now I guess. He yeah, just, we got, we got woke up mornings with babies screaming, like all this stuff's going on. So after she's better, all of the, the weight of it, I guess, finally, I, I, I don't want to say I snapped cause I didn't go crazy or anything like that, but I just, I feel like I couldn't take it anymore. So I just, you know, people was just shouting and rejoicing over this healing. And I was kind of upset at myself because that was not my feelings. Now my feelings were, why did this even have to happen? And that, that sounds so ungrateful to say that, but I can't, I can't, I can't explain emotions. And that's how I felt. And I remember one night in church, I was standing there and I was, I was upset at myself for feeling this way. People's rejoicing, people's praising the Lord. My wonderful wife is standing next to me. She's back to the wonderful mom and wife that she's always been. And I'm standing here battling with trying not to get bitter, trying not to be upset about my son. And I remember at just something random, but I stood up to testify one night. I'm thankful to have my whole family here. And as soon as I said that, I felt like I betrayed my son. He wasn't there. And I was like, I, I just quit. I said, and I sat down. And I tried not to cry because I, I thought I'm already forgetting about my son. So all these weird emotions I'm going through. And one night we're in church and the spirit of God's moving real good. I'm sitting on the front bench after praying in all service. And I'm just, Lord, I need your help. I don't even know what's going on in my head right now. And I, the verse came to me that he came to heal the brokenhearted. <clears throat> so I, uh, I felt like he healed my wife on this altar. So I got up, sat on the altar. I didn't tell anybody what was going on. Nobody knew what I was feeling, except for my wife knew something wasn't right. And I sat down, and uh, they prayed for me. And inside, I'm just saying, God, would you heal my heart just like you healed my wife's body? And um, he didn't. Not that night. But I held on to that verse. Um that I felt like he could. So a couple months later, we go to youth camp and um, just powerful youth camp. You remember it. That's mm -hmm. just unbelievable. People shouting, receiving the Holy ghost. And uh, I was up there praying and, and seeking the Lord. And I felt when he healed my heart and I felt when he told me you could trust me. And he took that away. And I still will cry about my son. I'll still talk about him, all these different things. But that confusion and that fighting the anger and fighting the bitterness and all that 
weirdness that I was dealing with just gone. God healed that. So people could see that, you know, as far as like she got up and ran around the church. But that was a huge miracle to me that God did was able to help me to stay calm during that time when she needed me. And then when that was all over and I, I had my issues, then he was able to heal me as well. Um, so you, just to get, get the timeline straight, was it in that revival we had in what was it, February that that verse came to you or was it later? Uh, that I remember it was just a normal service. It was not during revival. Do you have a rough idea of when that was? I don't. I don't. Okay. Youth camp was in June or July. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, And my wife was trying to pin that down the other night, and she said she thinks she remembers the message. And I told her, I don't remember the message. She said, no, the message had something to do with that because she kind of knew what I was dealing with. I said, well, it might have. All I know is when I got up from praying and sat down that God gave me that first, and I knew he was wanting to heal my heart and that that's what my problem was. Okay. So. Thank you so much for letting us share our story, and hopefully we didn't overshare too oh. many details. Oh, no. no <laughs> the, the story this long? Oh, this is normal. Thank you for coming on. We, mm-hmm. we have thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, and, and God has blessed us since then. We've got two more boys, and so we're a family of seven now. And they're both very healthy, and you'll you probably heard them in the background in this recording a few yeah. times. One and of them was sitting next to us drinking chocolate milk for a while. So, yeah, I haven't had any trouble with mocking or lifting things, or when the Lord does it, He does it right. Yeah. All right. So, thank you, and thank you all for listening. A couple points to clarify: after the episode was initially released. But Denny had a few people asking a few questions about a couple of points he made, and we, th- we thought we'd uh, clear them up real quick. The first point he made was in regards to them going to see Christmas lights on the night that Sister Alicia started hemorrhaging. So as you may recall, they were talking about going to go to Christmas Tree Lane to see Christmas lights then on Tuesday night when our water broke. For those of you who don't know Fresno, Christmas Tree Lane is a... How do I put it? It's a, a street on which uh, for a number of years now, people have put up a good deal, a large number of Christmas decorations, and the people go to see as part of the Christmas season. Anyway, so this was happening on Tuesday night, but he was describing how in, when he was in a fog, when he was gathering up a hospital bag for Sister Alicia Wednesday night, how he was thinking they were just going to see Christmas lights. This was uh, him misremembering, likely due to the fact that he was in a fog at the time due to this shock of the event. The other point he w- wished to straighten out was he mentioned he couldn't remember the length of his son, but was thinking it was about, he was about three inches when he was born. Well, he later realized that actually three inches was not accurate. He described his son as being about the length of his hand, you know, from, from fingerprints from fingertips to the base of his palm. As such, this would put, make the boy about six inches long. Anyway, I hope this clears up any confusion you had. Have a good day.